We're in for a treat here in a couple of minutes because I've already heard what you're going to hear and it's really going to bless you. Uh, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker, which I should explain that Nick and Lexi and the family are in New York because Lexi's uh, sister got married yesterday. So we're glad for them to be able to do that. And we're uh, glad for Nick to have been able to uh, call upon a very special man to uh, give us um, a message from his word today. Um, he's originally from New Jersey, uh, thus the seven-foot poster of Patrick Ewing that he, that he owns. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, had the incredible foresight to leave New Jersey and come to Michigan to attend the University of Michigan uh -huh. uh, to go to school. Now, uh, suddenly he's become my new best friend. Um, left there after two years, though, to go to Southeastern Seminary in Florida. In the combined venues of both Michigan and um, Florida, he's been a youth pastor now for nine years. Uh, decided to move to Minneapolis this past year and has completed one year at Bethlehem Seminary, the, the church that Bethlehem Baptist, uh, John Piper's church, uh, runs up in uh, Minneapolis. Um, and he works uh, for Apple um, just to make ends meet while he's in seminary. And let's see, what more do we need to know about him? Not much, probably. He'll tell us more, and I'm going to get him um, on his way here. But he wants to become a senior pastor someday, and after you hear him, you will know that he is well on his way. So I would love to have you welcome Mr. Lewis Guest as our guest preacher today. Lewis. Good morning, High Point. How are you all doing this morning? Are we good? Did I lose anybody because I went to the University of Michigan? The first crowd looked at me like, preacher, get on out of here. You're a Wolverine and not a Badger. I, I do have a funny story about Wisconsin. My brother uh, played football, and he was actually, for a second, being recruited for Wisconsin. And I told him, I said, I love you. You are my brother. And when you play Michigan, I want you to do well, but I will not be going for the Badgers when you play Michigan. Yeah, I always tell them that joke. I just think about that every time I think about Wisconsin. So it's a privilege to be here with you all this morning, um, to be able to worship together with you and to look at this uh, beautiful Psalm, Psalm 104. Um, I'm excited about it. Your heart was made for Psalm 104. So before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dig right into the text. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you because of the gospel, we can say that it is well with our soul. I pray, Father, for your grace to preach your word today. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see? May it be done by the power and the demonstration of your spirit so that our faith may not rest in anything that's said through man, but only in the power of God. Be magnified through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. There are certain scales that we have in our life. We have a scale of excitement, and we use that scale of excitement at times so that we can kind of measure different events that we have in our life. If we think about a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the highest, on the low end, there's some things that we are just not too excited about. When we think about maybe having to make a tough phone call later on this week, that may be three on the scale. When we think about the fact that 
our three-day weekend is going to come to an end soon enough and we have to go back to work, that may be like a two. Sorry to be a bearer of bad news, but Tuesday is coming. Me personally, when I think about the possibility of watching the San Antonio Spurs play in another final, that's about negative 10 for me on my scale of excitement. But if we go all the way over to the extreme, to the other part, there's just certain things that just make us excited, which we gravitate towards. We think about possibly vacation or school. This is my first summer break since, uh, and first summer break in five years. How many of y'all know? I was excited two weeks ago when the semester was over. I haven't sat around and done nothing for so long, I don't even know what to do. I'm enjoying my summer break. We think about possibly maybe a new nephew or a new niece or a new grandchild that you get a chance to spend time with this weekend. Then that could be like a 10. As I sat and thought about spending time with you this morning in the book of Psalms, Psalms 104, I had to give it a scale of 1,000 on my excitement scale. Scale is busted. Scale is destroyed because Psalm 104 is an amazing song. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your heart was made for Psalm 104. It was made to drink it in. It was made to reflect. It was made to look deeply into. And when as I sat and thought about the God that we'll talk about in Psalm 104, I just got excited. Anybody just get excited sometimes? You just smile on your face. Just excited. Another reason why I'm excited about this particular book of Psalm, other than the fact that it's just an awesome, awesome Psalm, is that the book of Psalms have kind of been repositioned in my life recently based off of a Old Testament class that I've taken this last semester. We had an amazing professor, Dr. Jason DeRoshi, and he really, really changed the way we thought about the Old Testament. I don't know if you spent any time in the Old Testament before, but I know me, I tend to run through it especially when I get to that certain part when it says such and such be God such and such and such and such be God such and such and 10 chapters later such and such be God such and such and such and such be God such and such. What he did for us in this particular semester is that he switched up or not switched up or say he put on another emphasis on how we went through the books of the Old Testament. Typically on my Old Testament survey classes, this is the third one I've taken, uh, not because I failed them in the past, but just simply from the different classes that we've had. Typically we've gone through Genesis all the way through down to Malachi, as you see it in your book right now, in your Bible now. He wanted to go through it through the Hebrew ordering of the Testament. In other words, the way Jesus would read it. And in fact, what that does is that it splits it up into three different parts. You have the law. The law talks from Genesis to Deuteronomy. After you get through the law, the next section you'll come to is the prophets. The prophets are made from or split up into two, two sections. You have the former prophets, which are going to be Joshua through Kings. And then you have the latter prophets, which is Jeremiah through Malachi. And then you come to the writings. In the writings is where we find the book of Psalms, Ruth, Lamentations, Daniel through Chronicles. And it really was interesting reading it this way because it made the Old Testament end differently than what it has always ended for me. If you're familiar with the book of Malachi, you're, you know that God was mighty upset when he came to Malachi. 
hanging out with teenagers, of course, I've developed a language now to kind of relate to them. I used to tell them all the time in Malachi, God went flip mode. If you don't know what flip mode means, imagine if I took this pulpit and flipped it. God was so upset with the people that he was writing to in the book of Malachi. It almost seems like that once he finished his last statement, when he promised Elijah to come, it's almost seemed like he turned it back on him for 400 years. And then we don't hear anything again into the book of Matthew. When we look at the Hebrew ordering of the Old Testament and the Bible ends in in second Chronicles is a lot more positive thrust going into the New Testament. In fact, Chronicles is awaiting a king to show up. And who do we see in Matthew the first time? King Jesus. It makes it a lot more linear as a storyline to go right into the New Testament. Psalms has its place in the writings with a positive thrust because the writings are helping the people of Israel who are now back in the land to help them understand how should they live for God at this moment? How should they worship? How should they live in hopes of his kingdom to come? Now that's important to us because how many of y'all are hoping in the kingdom of God to come? We're waiting for it. We're waiting for Christ to come back. And while we're waiting, we're sitting here saying, how should we live? The book of Psalms helps us do that. The book of Psalms helps us in our worship language. When you first became born again, do you remember your worship language? It might have been very small. It might have been just praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But as you dig into Psalms, you start seeing that your vocabulary starts increasing. So it goes from praise the Lord to God, you are great, to God, you are awesome, to now you have a whole, whole other language to deal with. I just finished taking a Greek course and I cannot tell you how many words we had to memorize this last semester. It was a lot of words. As I sat and thought about it, though, is that even though we went through the pain of Memorizing word after word after word, the vocabulary increased. It was easier to read Greek. And I think about that with the book of Psalms, that as we read Psalms more and more and more, we have much more words to use as we worship an awesome God. That's one benefit of getting in the book of Psalms. Another great reason why we have Psalms here is that it helps us with our emotional life. Anybody here tend to get a little emotional from time to time? Our emotions can go up, our emotions can go down. Psalms helps us express emotion in a very healthy way. In the book of Psalms, you see somebody that's angry. In the book of Psalms, you see somebody that's sad. In the book of Psalms, you see somebody that's elated, filled with joy. In the book of Psalms, you see people who are downcast. This book helps us worship. It helps us to relate to God in a way with our healthy emotions. It helps us to learn how to worship even better. It helps us to learn how to live. When we look at Psalm 104, we're reminded of another thing with with Psalms. As you read Psalms, you want to remember that there's different type of literary genre. In other words, you have some songs that are songs of lament. There's Psalms of thanksgiving. They're psalms of royalty. What we'll look at today in Psalm 104, it's a psalm of praise. In other words, when we look at a song of praise, it's teaching us and it's showing us two things. It's teaching us who God is and what he does. 
And in light of who he is, and in light of what he does, our natural response is now praise. A great thing about Psalms also to remember is how the psalmist used language. He uses language great in Psalm 104. Metaphors, similes, personifications. These are all great to remember as we spend time with Psalms because how many of y'all know Psalms is not a quick read? 150 chapters. It has the longest chapter in the whole Bible in chapter, it's chapter 119. And it's not meant to be read fast anyway. The book of Psalms was meant for a slow read, for a read where you can steep your heart like you steep a bag of tea in hot water. It's meant for you to ponder over and to reflect and to spend time thinking about it. The book of Psalms helps you also with the heart check. In fact, I encourage you to do that this, this afternoon, this morning. What's going on in your heart as we go through this song? What's happening on the inside of you as we think about this great God? Is there a sense of awe? Is there love? Is there joy? Could there be an indifference, a coldness, a stunned silence? I walked away from Psalm 104 with a stunned silence and thought about, man, I just want to live my life with a, just a stunned silence in the awesomeness, the greatness, the beauty of the Lord our God. I almost want it plastered on my face so when you walk up on me, you're like, what, what, what's the matter? You look stunned. I am stunned. God is great. I am rock. God is awesome. The book of Psalms helps us to do these different things. Now, this Psalm 104, if you didn't know about this incredible song, there's a song that's been associated with this song. It's the song, Oh, Worship the King. If you ever heard that song, listen to the verse stanza. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion with splendor and, and girded with praise. That song comes from Psalm 104. I didn't know that until recently. Now, as we jump into it, typically the application of sermons come at the end or somewhere in the middle. I want to give you the application of this sermon right now at the top so that we can join together and do this as we pour over verse by verse of Psalm 104. The application of this sermon is very simply verse number one. Verse number one says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's it. That's the application. That's what I want us to do for the next couple of minutes. To tell our soul, soul, Bless the Lord. Soul, speak well of the Lord. Give glory to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Your heart and your soul were made for this psalm right here. Your heart and soul were made for it. 
Now, once again, thinking about the book or Psalm, Psalm 104 as a psalm of praise, psalms of praise are really split up into three different sections. So as we dig into Psalm 104, I really want to just draw your attention to three sections. Anytime you see a psalm of praise, it's going to be split up into these three sections. I encourage you to go back and read the book of Psalms again. And as you see more psalms of praise, you'll see three sections. The first section that you'll notice is a call to praise. Section number one, part number one, a call to praise. In this particular instance, it's a personal call to praise. The psalmist is telling himself personally, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. It's a personal call. Some other psalms are calls to the congregation. Congregation, bless the Lord. This psalm is a personal one, a personal call to praise. That's the first part. The second part of this psalm is going to give us the basis or the reason for why we should praise the Lord. Anybody ever dealt with a kid when you told them to do something and what's the next words that come out of their mouth? Why? Why? Go do this. Go do this. Why? 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 If we're looking at this first part and it says, soul bless the Lord, we want to answer the question, why soul should you bless the Lord? That's the second part. The second part is the basis. It's the ground. It's the reason for why we get, we asked our soul to bless the Lord in the first part. And the last part of this particular song that we're going to look at is the repeated call to praise. So three parts. You have the initial call to praise. You have the reason. And then the last one is the repeated call. It's almost as if it's saying, soul, bless the Lord. I'm going to tell you why you should bless the Lord. And then I'm going to tell you again what you should do as a result of hearing why you should praise the Lord. You should bless his name again. You should bless his name again. The book of Psalms is an incredible book. When we think about it before we jump into it, another really good part of understanding how Psalm works is that the book of Psalms is split up into five different books. If you ever notice that going through your deal, it's five separate chapters. It talks about the God who instructs and elects and delivers in book number one. In book number two, it's the God who establishes and delivers. Book number three is the God who rebukes and who rejects. Book number four, where we find our psalm in, it's the God who remembers and sustains. Book number five ends with the God who restores and who renews. Great part of this is that every single one of these books in the books of Psalm ends with a doxology. It ends with the call to praise. Listen to this real quick. The doxology doxology that's in the end of the book one, it says, bless the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Book number two, bless the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Book number three ends with blessed be the Lord God forever. Amen and amen. Book number four says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let the people say, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, everybody take a deep breath for me. Take another deep breath for me, real deep. Listen to how book number five ends. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you have breath in your lungs at this very moment? 
Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's the doxologies that are wrapped up in this book. So let's dig into Psalm 104. Let's, let's see what the psalmist is asking his soul to do. Let's see why he's asking to do it. And then let's join in with the psalmist in every single stanza and say to ourselves, soul, bless the Lord this morning. Charles Spurgeon, as he was thinking about this text, called this the psalmist version of the book of Genesis. And as he's reflected on it, this was, this was his prayer. Oh, for grace to render due praise unto the Lord while reading it. May we cry out for that same grace. May we look for that same grace. So let's dig in. Psalm 104, verse number one. Here's the first part. First part, once again, as we already said, is the application. And then the first part is simply verse number one in the very beginning of it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We see right at the beginning in verse number one, we see the psalmist doing something that we will find very odd if we didn't do it ourselves. And that's talk to, to ourselves. Anybody in here ever talked to yourself before? No hands raised, huh? <laughs> we all do it. At some point or another, you talk to yourself. And in fact, 119 miles into this trip from Minneapolis to Madison, I had this very deep, strong, sinking feeling that I left something at home. Just thinking maybe it could be a toothbrush. Not a problem. Pretty sure that CBS is in Madison. It could have been a clothing article. Not a problem. As this feeling got deeper, I realized that I forgot my sermon. <laughs> really? How many of y'all know for the next 10 minutes, I talk to myself? <laughs> really? Is that what you're going to forget of all things? The sermon? We all do it. We talk to ourselves. And in fact, if you go through the book of Psalms, you'll realize in seven different Psalms, the psalmist is talking to himself. The one that's probably very familiar to us is Psalm verse number 42, verse 5. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again yet praise him, my salvation and my God. Why is this in the book of Psalms? Why do we see seven, seven different times the psalmist talking to himself, instructing himself, telling himself what to do? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives a really good answer, so listen to what he says. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? It's one of those questions that make you go, hmm. That you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Someone is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. How many of y'all know that is sound advice right there? 
When our soul is crushing us down, when our thoughts are depressing us, when we find our souls in a state of just uh, coldness or unbelief, that's the time when we do what the psalmist does. We raise up and we say, soul, bless the Lord. Or soul, why are you disquieted within me, hoping God? We see this in Psalm 104. The psalmist is talking to himself and he's saying, soul, I want you to bless the Lord. I want you to speak well of the Lord. I want you to praise and exalt the Lord. I'm telling you to do this. I'm telling you to do this. I'm telling you to do exactly what you were meant to do. How many of you know your soul blesses what it finds exciting, great, beautiful, awesome? That's what it just naturally does. We know this. When was the last time you had a real good dinner? Not like McDonald's. Real good dinner. The one that puts you on the couch afterwards. Your soul was excited about that meal. It enjoyed it. It was a blessing to it. What ended up happening? You praised that meal. You spoke well of that meal. You said, man, that was good. That was a good meal. Ladies, what happens when you find that right pair of shoes? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? That right pair of shoes goes perfectly with your outfit, with the right accessories. You speak well of that. You may even call your girlfriend and say, girl, look at my shoes. We do this. This is what the soul does. The soul blesses what it finds great. The soul speaks well of what it finds amazing, what it finds beautiful, what it finds awesome. The psalmist is saying, soul, I'm about to show you something that's going to blow your socks off. So get ready to bless the Lord. We know this. When was the last time that you read a book and you, you, you titled it the best book that you ever read and you didn't tell anybody about it? When was the last time that, that, that you, you heard an album for the first time and it was a great album and you didn't tell anybody about it? You naturally, you naturally do that. In fact, you know how it is. Remember how when you hear your favorite song that you ever heard in a while? Spontaneously, woo, there's my song. That's what we do. So here's the first part. The first part is soul bless the Lord. And we jump into part number two. Part number two simply is 1B, the latter part of this verse number one, all the way over to verse number 30. Here is the firm foundation, the firm ground. Here is the basis for the soul to bless the Lord. What does he say in verse number one? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? O Lord, my God, you are very great. So why should you bless the Lord? Because God, you are very great. Very, very great. I remember growing up, we had this little prayer. We used to pray around the dinner table. God, you are great. God, you are good. And we thank you for this food. Amen. If we wanted to get hip hop with it, we'd flip it up and say, God, you are good. God, you are great. And we thank you for this plate. Amen. Amen. Threw 
around the title of greatness of God and not really knew God is extremely great. How well does your heart know that this morning? Does your heart exalt? Does your heart glory in the greatness of our God? We know he is great in mercy. Listen to this verse. We were by children, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is amazing. And even while we were yet sinners, enemies to God, he loved us, saved us by grace. It's great mercy, great grace, great patience. He is a very great God. We can close the book and leave today and instruct and, and command our soul to bless the Lord because he is very, very great. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's almost like the psalmist is like, I'm about to pile that on top of another pile and pile it on top of another thing and pile it on top of another thing until you just, until you just, just, God, you are great. God, you are great. Now, when I was thinking about Psalm 104, I was reminded of something that happened to me the other day. We all have different routines of life when we go to the same spots. You have the same way that you get home and the same way that you come to church. You have the same way that you go to school and you have the same way you go to the gym. You have the same way that you go to the mall and same way and so on and so forth. Have you ever been going on this particular same path one day and you see something that you've never seen before? I was driving to my same Starbucks, going the same route. And as I was sitting at the light, I looked over here to my left and I saw this little stone wall. And I said, where did that come from? I've never seen that wall before. Actually, I said, did they, did they put that wall up last night? It wasn't here yesterday, I didn't see it. How many of y'all know that wall was there yesterday? That wall has always been there. I just didn't see it, didn't pay attention to it. And I thought about that as I looked at Psalm because there was something in this book that I've never seen before, which made it just incredible just to dig into. So we dig into this. We know that the psalmist here is going to exalt in a very great God who is our creator. But what I never made the connection to was the Genesis connection to this psalm. What we're going to see here is that the book, the psalmist here, goes through every day of creation. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, even possibly seven, and he unpacks those days. I've read this before, and I know it was a creator, but I never, I was blown away. I've never seen, wow, the psalmist just took his, his, his chapter from Genesis 1 and just blows it up. He blows, he blows my mind by just going back to Genesis 1 and making connections to it. So let's, let's look at that. When we think about the book of Genesis, how does the book of Genesis start off? And I think about that, I think the book of Genesis starts off right. It starts off right. Have you ever heard that saying, it's not how you finish? How many of y'all know it is how you start? Starting well matters. Book of Genesis starts off well. It says, in the beginning, God. 
First character, most important character in the whole book. In the beginning, God. And it looks like the psalmist is doing this also too. He's saying, okay, so bless the Lord. Now who's the first person I'm going to introduce? Here is God. Notice what he said about him. In the end of verse number one, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. Now that's amazing. When you put your clothes on this morning and when you put them on again tomorrow, I want you to just spend a little bit of time in thinking that when you put your shirt on, when you put your jacket on, when you put your, your shoes on, God is clothed with splendor and he is clothed with majesty. That blows my mind. He is a king, but he's not wearing royal robes or expensive threads. You know what he wears? Splendor. Majesty. The next verse says he, he covers himself with light. We know from the New Testament that God is invisible. We know light represents his glory in his being in a place. It says he's covered with light. Now I've seen some very nice pieces of clothing articles in my day. Nice suits and nice shoes and nice t-shirts, nice, nice sneakers. I have not yet gone into one store and seen light hanging up on the right. He covers himself with light. And in light, I'm immediately thrust back into Genesis 1. What's the first thing that happened in Genesis 1? Let there be light. It's almost as he's introducing himself into this chaos of the earth before he creates it. Let there be light. God is like, I'm here. I'm about to create. I'm about to do something amazing. So bless the Lord. Why? Because he's very great. How do we know he's very great? Check his clothing out. Check his gear. See what he's wearing. Splendor. Majesty, light. This next part should blow your mind too. Any campers in here? Anybody been camping before? I made the fatal, not fatal, I'm still here. <laughs> I made the crazy mistake of going camping in the wintertime one, one time. Never would do it again in life. I remember specifically having to stretch out the tent so we can get in it and be warm again, be protected from the elements. Stretching the tent out was not that difficult. We pulled out the sides and put the poles into it, put it up. In fact, I thought I was doing a good job. I never put up a tent before. For the first time, it's a little wobbly, but it was still, it was good. Verse number two. Not only is he clothed with splendor and majesty, not only does he cover himself with light, he stretches out the heavens like a tent. Oh soul, be amazed. Be amazed at this God who could take the heavens and stretch it out like a tent. When you go outside today, before you get on with the rest of your day, just look up and think about the blue sky and say, my God stretched that out like a tent. That's very good reason to bless the Lord. He's very great. Verse number three, this gets even crazier. It says he lays the beans on his chambers on the waters. 
Now this is amazing. Now when you're the builder of your house, when he or she laid the beams down, what did he lay the beams down on when he built your house? <laughs> laid it on ground. Scripture says, hey, our God is bigger than that. I'm going to lay the beams of my chamber on waters. Not my chambers, the beams of it that support my chambers. I'm going to lay it on water for its support. That doesn't impress you. Try to get some wood later on. Go to your bathroom, fill it up with water. Go to your tub, fill it up with water. Try to lay that wood on the water and build something on top of it. See how far you get. If you're asking the question, what waters are we talking about? Are we talking about the sea? Or what, what waters are we speaking of? Let's go back to Genesis. Think about his creation. Think about what he did after he created light. Think about when he said, let there be a separation, day number two. Waters, you go up above the expanse. Waters, you go down below. And the waters that we're talking about that he lays his beam on, it was the waters above the expanse that he made in day number two. Day number two talked about it. I'll read it. It says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. The beams of his chambers are above those waters that he separated. That's amazing. <laughs> that, is, that is incredible that our God has the ability to do something like that. We have reason enough after those first verses right there to command our soul. Soul, bless the Lord, for our God is very great. Even in the midst of trials, soul, bless the Lord, our God is very great. Even in the midst of going through a certain situation, soul, bless the Lord, our God is very great. Since he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. Here's another question. What did you come here today with? Did you drive a particular car? What type of car did you drive here? Or what was your transportation like? Or what type of car do you want to have? Listen to what the Lord is riding. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. <laughs> Some nice cars out there. Never seen anybody ride on a cloud. He makes the clouds his chariot? Is that what he's riding on? His chariot? I can't also but help but think about the other person who talked about clouds. And what Jesus Christ said? He says, the son of man is going to come back one day on the clouds. That's what he, that's his chariot. His messengers are winds. His ministers are a flame of fire. Let's look at verse number five. Verse number five goes in even further for us. Verse number five says, he set the earth on his foundation so that it should never be moved. The Lord did that. The Lord set the earth on his foundations. And because he did it and he's all powerful, we have no reason to believe it'll ever be moved until he's ready to move it. I think about Job, what he asked Job. He, you know, in the book of Job, he asked a very rhetorical question. He says, Job, I'm going to ask you some questions. How many of y'all know he wasn't asking Job those questions because he wanted to know the answer? 
it, it reminds me of my mother asked me questions like, where have you been? She wasn't looking for me to say I was at such and such. That was her way of saying, I'm in big trouble. Listen to this question that, that God asked Job. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or, its, or laid its foundations? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? For joy? You know what Job's response was? Job says, behold, I'm of a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. He was blown away, blown away by the greatness of this God. Look at verse number six. It says, you covered it with deep as with garments. He's talking about the earth. The water stood above the mountains. Now, when I first read this, I thought he was talking about the flood account. But this is still Genesis. This is when he reintroduces himself back up and waters are covering the whole earth here. It says, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. Verse number seven is amazing. At your rebuke, the waters fled. And at the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. What? Yes, he even rebukes and commands water. Can you imagine that scene? Whole earth full of water. God comes and rebukes it, and it goes where it needs to go. Our God is very great. Our God is very great. One of the things I lived in Florida. This is, and I may, you know, this is pretty strange. But I lived in Florida for six years, and I probably went to the beach maybe one time in six years. But every time I went to the beach out there in Florida, I was just amazed at all of this water coming water coming, water coming, and it never passed a certain boundary. It's almost as like the Lord says, you stop right here. The Lord rebuked the waters, and it went to its place. It's almost like the Lord saying, waters, get over there. Water goes. Once again, this reminds me of Jesus again. Who's the, who's the next person that we see commanding winds and commanding waves? Jesus doing the same thing. And what was Peter's response? <laughs> Peter was like, who is this man? What manner of man is this? That even the winds and even the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Verse number eight. Verse number eight is interesting. It can provide a little bit of difficulty. I think the NIV gives us a really good rendition of it. It says they flowed over the mountains. Who flowed over the mountains? The waters. They went down into the valleys to the place that you assigned them. You set a boundary they could not cross. Never again will they cover the earth. So bless the Lord for our God is very, very great. How's your heart doing right now? As we get a picture of the greatness of the God, how's your heart doing? Awe, wonder, stunned silence. So we sit here and ponder and think about the greatness of our God. Jeremiah 5, Jeremiah 5.22 rocked me, rocked me in light of a God who commands waters. Listen to what it says. It says, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? 
I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they can't pass over it. But this people have a stubborn and rebellious heart. The winds and the waves obey this God. And God turned around to his people and said, you see the winds and the waves obeying me? Do the same also. Do the same also. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 reminds me of day three, five, and six. Remember in those days, God creates plants and he creates animals and he creates the crowning, create the, the crowning creation of his whole work, human beings. And listen to what it says in verse number 10. It says, you make springs gush forth in, uh, forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock. Plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. Bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. And then the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. The Lord even loved badgers. Amen. He loves wolverines too. Amen. <laughs> Y'all like, no. What do we see here? We see not only a God who creates, but a God who sustains a God who takes care of his creation. We see a God who takes care of even wild donkeys. This reminds me of Matthew. Remember what it said in Matthew 6. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to put on? I clothe the flowers. I feed the birds. Are you not of much more value than they? Don't worry, seek the kingdom of God. We can remind our soul of that when we are worrying about things and say, no soul, you bless the Lord because we have a faithful creator. A creator who will sustain and keep and provide for us. In verse number 19, you remember this day in Genesis as you go through the account of God creating the world. Remember when he made the moon? Remember when he made the sun and he said the moon and the sun are going to be for seasons and times and years. They're going to be for lights on the earth. Listen to how the psalmist breaks it down in verse number 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and they lie down in their dens. And the man goes out to his work and his labor into the evening, and then the cycle continues and keeps on going. <laughs> God makes moons, stars, the sun. That's amazing. That's a great God. I remember having to take an astronomy class for college one time and I was rocked because I knew the sun was far, but I didn't know it was 93 million miles away. 
93 million miles away. Felt like it was a much, a lot closer when I lived in Florida. <laughs> Feels like it's a lot Florida, uh, further here in the Midwest. 93 million miles away. And you all know if the earth was one inch closer to the sun, we'd burn. And if the earth was one inch further, we would freeze. That's amazing. That is, that is amazing. Soul bless the Lord. Why? Because he is a very great God, a very great creator. Look at verse number 24. 24 is going to find the psalmist is kind of just busting forth. He, he's now proclaimed in six days and he almost makes an exertion with an explanation point. He's saying, oh Lord, how manifold are your works? How many are your works? He was stunned at how awesome and how many of the works that God has created and God that he's done. It says, in wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creation, of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There goes the ships and Leviathan. Anybody have a pet in here? I grew up with a cocker spaniel. Little small dog, had a good time, pet, played with it. Verse 26, there goes the ships, the Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. If you have a Bible that has a little subscript, little number two, look at the bottom of it, bottom of your page. He says, Leviathan, which you formed to play with? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a second. God, you formed the Leviathan, which we think is a whale possibly, I don't know. You formed the whale to play with it? Like I played with my cocker spaniel? <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. He created the Leviathan to not only play in the sea, but to play with it. God is a, a great God. I wouldn't get 100 yards away from a whale. God plays with it. Look at verse 27. It says, as we bring this, this part to a close, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open up your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Closed book, that's the close of the second part. That's the basis for his call to personally praise the Lord. That's an amazing, incredible, wonderful basis. That's a huge ground. When we just cover this mighty creator, this gives us a reason to say to our soul, soul, bless the Lord. He is very great. Verse number 31 brings us now to the last part, the last section of a psalm of praise. After hearing what we just heard, what does the psalmist say? Praise the Lord. He repeats the call to praise again. He says, soul, I've already told you to praise God one time. I'm giving you the reason why you should do it. Now here's another reason or here's another response to what I just told you about the awesomeness of God. Praise the Lord. Look at verse number 31. And this is where I think day seven is. Remember day seven in the Genesis account where God rested from his work? 
where he was pleased, he rejoiced in all of his work, sovereign kingdom rest. How many of you know that God, God didn't rest by like, you know, chilling on the couch, like, whoo, man, that was a lot of work right there. We're not talking about that type of rest. We're talking about a king who rests over his dominion because all is well. This is the type of rest we see in Genesis 1 in day 7. It says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. What kind of messed that thing up for? What, what happened after the Genesis account? Sin was introduced. Sin came and just messed up everything. How many of y'all know there's a day coming, though, where God will deal with that sin? It'll be gone from all the creation. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more afflictions. Why? Revelation says, for the former things have passed away. Sin will be taken care of. He'll be able to finally rejoice in his works again, coming soon. And I think that's why verse number 36 is in this psalm. If you ever read Psalm 104, verse number 36 should kind of cause you to ask yourself the question, what is this doing here? We, we really just have been talking about creation and God is creator. Why verse number 36? Verse number 36 says, let sinners be consumed from the earth for I rejoice in the Lord. I think what's going on is that the psalmist is so zealous for God to rejoice in his word, so zealous for the glory of the Lord to be extended and to fill the whole earth that he's looking forward to the day where there will be no more sin. Sinners will be taken care of either through the cross of Jesus Christ or through judgment. So as we think about this, let's look at verse number 34 and close it out. It says, May, or verse number 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And then he ends off, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hopefully that's what's going on in your heart as we think about the Lord. Our God is, yes, our redeemer. He is our friend. He is a lover of our soul. But how many of y'all know he is our creator? And we've been given a couple of things to do when we think about the creator. First, he talks to young people, young adults, teenagers. Remember your creator in your youth. If you are in here and you are not in Christ, remember that you have a creator. Romans says that we are without excuse. Run to Jesus. And if you are in Christ today, and especially if you are going through a suffering, a time of suffering, go to the one place in all the New Testament where title creator appears. And he says, rest in the arms of a faithful creator and keep doing good. May your soul be ravished and, 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 and just, per, just blown away by an awesome great God. And in times when it's good and when times when it's bad, speak to your soul and say, soul, bless the Lord, for my God is very, very great. Amen.